Welcome to Catalogs and Noise. My name is Joe. I'm here with... Galen. And Brent. All right, and we are going to talk about the ban. Are we saying ban or are we saying B-A-N? I actually think it's B-A-N. I, I think it's B-A-N. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if it's a B-T correlative, it's, a B it's, it's not yeah. Bet Network. That's what yeah. I was thinking. I agree. So, B-A-N episode of Atlanta, which I think is the best episode. I think. Wow. Yeah, I mean... This is a critical darling, you know, certainly, and I think it's the one that got the most attention when this came out last year, but I think technically this is the most complicated, arresting, and important episode. I think complicated, I would definitely agree with arrest. And like all, all of those assessments as far as like the, the complexities of this episode, I think are absolutely there. Like there's yeah. so much to unpack and dig into here. Um I'm not sure I found it the most satisfying. You know, I think there Maybe. have been there have been so many moments in this show where, like, from a from even beyond a craft perspective, it's just been just like delightful. I don't think I felt any delight in this episode. Maybe like a few moments no, of like I real did. relief, like genuine relief. But I don't okay, know that yeah. I come to a conclusion at the end of this episode and go, ah, you know. Whereas I feel like some of my other some of these other episodes give you that sense of at least completion. That's All right, there. you're right. I don't think they come to any resolution, and I'm not just talking about the um, professor and. Paperboy, you know, coming to an agreement and just saying like, oh, we agree like that because that's an interesting thing. But even within each's argument, there doesn't seem to be something satisfyingly conclusive about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I think is purposeful. Oh, sure. definitely. Yeah. I, I think, you know, <laughs> the idea is that these kinds of shows don't really have much value beyond the kind of talking head blathering of it all. It's they're not meant to really come to conclusions, right? They're just come to be You mean Montague. Montague. As opposed to Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. No, right, yeah, exactly. Right. I'm talking about Montague. Okay. Atlanta, I think, is making a point by not coming to a conclusion, right. is my point. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that, wow, I think critical darling is a nice word for it, because, like, it's intellectually just, like, really exciting. Right. Um, but ultimately, like, when I think of, like, an episode, uh, the, some of these other, like, really delightful, like, it's like now week two without Darius, you know, it's like there, there are things that I'm now starting to come to love to this, to get to this in the show that now this episode kind of takes some of those away yeah. um, or at least kind of alters how those are kind of coming to you. So since you mentioned it, right, second episode now in a row where you're just isolating one character, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. seeing them in a new environment, right? This is far more experimental, I would say, even than value from last week. Yeah. Um, but no <laughs> Urn, no Darius, right? No Van here. You just get this kind of real distilled down sense in the owl scenes, you know, yeah. um, which I think is interesting. Right. And, and, you know, we'll go back to what we were talking about last week. It's incredibly daring to, to do this kind of thing. This is unlike any sitcom I've ever seen. I think I mean, forget about the fake commercials and all of this, just that aspect alone is, is off yeah. the charts weird. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think just like the the kind of blackness of like the 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 atmosphere, right? I mean, like for a show that has been so intent on like building an Atlanta for us, right? You yeah, know, to be yeah. in this kind of neutral space, to be in this kind non -space. of like non-space, almost kind of like purgatorial, you know, in <laughs> yeah, some ways, is. you know, and as, as they like discuss like judgment and things like yeah, that. Yeah, like, ridiculously large table. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's got that Charlie Rose feel to it. I wrote uh, down Charlie Rose. Yeah. I was trying to like classify what this show exactly is because it's not. You mentioned BET. But it's actually a hybrid of several things, mm -hmm. right? It's BET because you have like the African American culture thing, you know, that introduction is so kind of distinctive with mm -hmm. that, that, that kind of jazz music and, mm -hmm. you know, so all good. of that. I don't, I haven't watched BET since I was like a teenager, you know, watching rap videos on it, but I, I guess there's probably some analogous programming that looks like this now, you know, I don't know. But it also has 
a kind of cable news sensibility. Like, mm-hmm. it looks more like a show you'd see on CNN today mm. in terms of the talking head politics dynamic. But it looks like Charlie Rose, right? <laughs> so, um, and Montague, I think, is a reference to Montel Williams, right? Hmm. Do you guys know I mean, Montel Williams? Yeah, I do. I mean, maybe. I feel like Montel is usually less about, like, big picture social issues and more about kind of more immediate family drama. I don't know if that's mischaracterizing no. daytime television. But... I, from what, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever watched Montel Williams when it was on, but mm. it was more like like a Maury Povich kind of thing, right? right. Exploitative, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, maybe, oh, probably three steps classier than <laughs> Maury Povich, but I don't think that's, that's right. hard to manage. Right. Uh, but, so, but I think, like, the character was supposed to be this this guy that was like a thinly veiled um provocateur right cuz he do, he is very much trying to push exactly. but you hate women like at the end there yeah. Right? Yeah. that yeah his agenda is just to to get people to get mad at each other get people to argue and has really nothing to do but looks Respect. Very right. I mean, it's it's like you yeah. know, it's it's public radio's response to like shock jock style yeah. like political interviews. You know, it's it's very classy and dignified, but ultimately, it's still trying to peddle a particular you know point of view that's kind of predetermined before the show even starts. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I, this is all to say, I think that there is a bunch of different critiques kind of hidden in that. Yes, there's and and that's kind of the juxtaposition, right? Is the juxtaposition of what this show is actually doing metatextually in comparison to what is kind of presented. It's very interesting. Yeah. Because if it was just Montel or just CNN, mm-hmm. it would be straightforward and I don't think you could get slip in all of these other layered ideas. Yeah, there's a you know? lot going on. There's a lot. So I, I made a list, which is not exhaustive, but I stopped making the list after a while, right? So here's what we have to contend with. You know, to oppose, like, you know, those, the first four episodes, we could pinpoint and say, this is this episode, this is how the themes are varying. We can't do that anymore, right? We just have to kind of corral, a, <laughs> like, like a, a big network of ideas here. Transgender issues. Ivory Tower liberalism versus, um, I think, real minority voices, right? Mm-hmm. That's out yeah. there. Um, exploitative media, media, which we've already started talking about. Um, freedom of speech issues, which also kind of dovetails into what rap is doing in terms of being a kind of vocalization of a certain you know, sector of American life. Um, then you have the transracial issues, right? Mm-hmm. Which is... And a very interesting critique, which I think is a little controversial. We'll get that. And then you have um, the, you know, the horrible cartoon where you have the police brutality issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of that is packed into 22 minutes. And I think that the news broadcast is like the only way maybe to be a kind of like distilling system for all these ideas to come together. Or... Mm-hmm. Not just the that set, but that set piece with the commercial surrounding them. Basically, you know, the distillation of what news media is today. Well, I mean, it, it foregoes an idea of, like, a straightforward narrative, you know? I mean, right. to, to say that, like, if we're going to deal with all of this stuff kind of concurrently, like, we cannot focus on one singular story. It's right. this idea that all of these stories are concurrent, you know? Right. And that all of these, like, stories are not so much kind of narrative so much as they are just kind of, like, treatments or, or questions or, 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 or um, you know, you talk about that unresolved component before, you know? Right. And I think that 
this format allows you to just kind of just poke every single thing and not actually have to come to a conclusion to it. You know, we're not relying on some narrative resolution to, to I don't know, to get to an end. Well, I, and I think it also structurally mirrors the nature of these shows. Like, you know, I don't watch, like, CNN, you know, or yeah, any other either. cable news shows. I just, that's not my radar. But I do watch, like, Bill Maher, say, right? Um, there's, you know, he tries to pack in a dozen different issues into that hour program. And what I want is more depth and nuance in any one of those issues, mm-hmm. you know? But... Media just doesn't provide that, or most doesn't. Mm. You know, I mean, you can find that in NPR or Charlie Rose. There's certain places for that. But I think, you know, even the best, most responsible media broadcasters today have to kind of kowtow to attention spans diminishing. And, you know, so so you get, you know, five minutes on a topic, five minutes, let's switch to this, switch to this. And I think this, the way that this episode is structured is kind of doing that as well. You know, but I think it's not just doing that. It's commenting on that while it does that, which, you know, we see over and over again in Atlanta that Mm -hmm. it's critique is embedded in the system of the show as much as it is or more so than in the content and the dialogue, the plot structure, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot going on here. I'm telling you, I think this is genius genius episode. I mean, I think that's certainly the root of the comedy in this episode, is that idea that it is poking fun at, like, not just, like, a simple parody of a particular news broadcast, but, like, Mm -hmm. at news, like, capital N, like, how it comes to us, you know, and just, I think, there's that um, kind of nuance that he can kind of treat it with, and that ability to just um, kind of expose us to lots of different parts of that news relationship. Yeah, and I also think that just even like the simpler aspect of the juxtaposition of the two guests. So you have Paperboy and you have um I don't remember what uh, Deborah Holt Dr. Deborah Holt. Dr. Deborah Holt. Um yeah, and that you have this contrast between them and it is this kind of contrast between like, you know, academia and how academia going back to this kind of like ivory tower liberalism, like right. the way in which it views things that it's really not a part of at all. Right. And Paperboy kind of does the same thing. So it's everybody looking at each other yeah. in this really weird way. And they're literally looking at each other around the table. Then we're looking at them. It's very weird. So let, let's get into that. Like as the first topic, I, I was thinking <laughs> we're going to pop around topically here. So my take on just that issue, the, the ivory tower liberalism versus like real lives, you know, um, this is like a thing that I'm always thinking about, right? Cause I'm very suspicious of that kind of academia. I mean, I've been to college at multiple degrees, but I've always been suspicious that the language that I'm hearing from professors does not match reality or that it's, it's so abstracted from reality that it's worthless. And I, don't get me wrong, I think a lot of great ideas come from that, and a lot of the language you, we use, and a lot of the progressive ideas. But I don't know that it always matches, you know, the victims is trying to articulate their real mentality, right? I think it's a lot of times a false representation of who they are. I think Donald Glover feels the same way based on this. I think, first off, we're supposed to see her as shrill, and a problem as opposed to Paperboy. And a lot of that has to do with our affection for Paperboy right off the bat and mm-hmm. her being an antagonist towards her. That being said, I don't think that she's a villain either. No, I think by the end of it, we actually really like her. I don't know about really, but... but <laughs> like, well, like her. her. Yeah, yeah, okay, maybe really was too much. But we like her. We're like, okay. Right. Well, because she's... Why? Because she's reasonable. 
Yeah, because right? she actually listens to what he says and finds that value, but goes into it without having actually, you know, she's using her own lens, which is this lens of academia and gender studies and, you know, thinking about homosocial spectrums when she goes to tell him and he's like, oh, tell me about myself, right? Uh, that's great. That's like the that quintessential line. moment of that, right? Yeah. Because, and what she's doing, it's like, oh yeah, I get that. I did that in college. Like, I know what she's doing right now. You know what I mean? Right. And you're like, oh, come on, man. Like, you're not listening to him. But when she actually, once they actually start to interact with each other rather than through the questions that Montague asks, then I think we start to like her a little bit more because there's, there isn't that sort of lens through what she's doing. If she's actually seeing him, I don't know. So I think you're right. When she starts to engage with Paperboy, mm-hmm. she becomes a human. Right. When she's, into, when she's engaging with Montague... Right, she's a media figure right. that is, you know, taking the company line exactly. and saying what she's expected to say as yeah. as liberal mouthpiece. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, you know. So you you know you mentioned the idea of like not uh, obviously not liking her at first, but I think that she is in kind of a separate category because she's really not a self promoter. You know, like we have seen kind of uh, other forms of like you know you, you, villains perhaps in this show who are people who are very much trying to like advance their own pro- like uh, profits and successes and like clicks and likes and things like that and so I'm like I'm, I'm sitting here trying to negotiate what that's like and then when you mention this idea that like she is just being used as a mouthpiece it's like oh right because she's not really a person like she that like humanity is kind of taken from her so any agency to even say like let me self-promote doesn't really exist for her until she opens that line of communication, until she starts communicating with him, and we get a sense that she has an investment in this beyond just, like, kind of reciting her book out to people, or at people. When she starts talking to him, I agree. Absolutely. Before that, she's a shell, I think, right? Why is she here? She's here to sell some copies of her book, to get some notoriety, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think she's a shill, but I think she's a shill of the system. You know, more, like, we see that system as to blame more than, like, her as an individual. Like, I don't, I don't know that we see her sure. as being, like, a controlling member of this system, you know? Yeah. I, right, we see her as a cog as well. Yeah. But she's somebody taking advantage. Sure, no doubt. And but, I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. But no, but I think it's that nuanced line between somebody taking advantage and someone who is full-scale villain. Like, even right from the very beginning, like, we don't just mistrust her. Like, we mistrust this whole program. We mistrust, like, even the very way that Montague is framing questions to Paperboy. Like, you're right, we come in with an affinity for Paperboy, and so it feels very much like the whole thing is kind of set up to make him look like a doofus. See, in her first segment, I mistrust her, too, though. Like, mm. like so much more than Paperboy, because she comes in and she starts using... The jargon of academia, right? right? I wrote some of it down, right? Um, uh, it's a natural consequences of the culture of exclusivity and power, right? Now, I know what she's saying, you know what I mean? But that is, that's language that's designed to talk over somebody's head and not engage with them. Right. It's the language that's going to be featured in her book. And I, I don't think that's the best way well, to, to address the problems that she's well, trying to and address. And I, th- I think the main issue, and I think this can be said of most academia, and again, it comes back to this question of, like, who are you looking at and who is it for? And there is this kind of, right. what both of you, I think, are speaking about is this kind of abuse of power, is that, like, I am looking at, you know, African-American men, and I'm going to talk about them right. in this book in language that is not language that they would probably be familiar with, nor would they ever pick up this book because why would they? But even if they did, could they understand it? Not not that it's like speaking to intelligence, but it's just like the vernacular and like it's the same thing. It deals with vernacular. Like Paperboy, we understand as a character because we've seen him. Yeah. So like we understand like when he says th- like he says things that are offensive. I think Absolutely. like undoubtedly, like, but we get him. So we're like okay, I kind of know what you're trying to say. Right. He can't do that with her. 
more. And so there is this kind of like hierarchy of language within it that I think can be seen as relatively abusive. At the same time, though, what else is she supposed to say? And that goes to what you're talking right. about. What else is she supposed to say other than sounding like an academic? So I think it does come back down to the systemic problem. like Because otherwise, if she's not going to use her own language, right, the language that she knows of her own field, like, would she not then be talking down? I don't know. Right. Like, what else is she supposed to say? I, I mean, I think we get to that conclusion when she actually right. talks to him. Exactly. We see that. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, but that's but what I'm saying is that, like, at this point... They have to break the structure of exactly. the... Exactly. She can't answer his questions. She has to talk directly to him. Right. Otherwise, she couldn't... She can't start out, I guess is what I'm saying. She can't start out speaking in the way that she does at the end. Yeah. It just couldn't happen. So, so the difference for me, and this, I think this goes back to the <laughs> Zan episode a little bit... Mm-hmm. She comes in playing a role. Right. Right? Right. Paper, exactly. Paperboy's paperboy. Right? Mm-hmm. His response mm-hmm. to her, you know, questions of, you know, uh, African-American masculinity and you're like, is, I'm just rapping. You know what I mean? It's plain spoken. It's natural. And that's, that's the juxtaposition here. It's the, it's the authentic paperboy versus the inauthentic. And maybe that's not fair to academia. You know what I mean? But I get it. That smacks of truth to me every time I'm listening to an academic, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not that I can't understand them. I think it's a smokescreen. It's, it's, I don't know that I, that is the natural language that she uses. That is an elevated language that is, that is saved for the classroom. Right. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I, but I mean, like, if she is an academic, then isn't that natural to her field? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Um, I mean, I agree with you. I think there are a lot of things that are written purposefully to kind of be a gatekeeper against those that would want to learn about something but are unable to do so. Obviously, as teachers, we see this all the time. Absolutely. I want to use sources all the time that I think are really interesting for their content, but can't really share with my students directly because there's no way they're going to be able to to read that at that level. Well, but I think some of this is topic-based as well, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, when you're dealing with academia in this way, like, you have to be able to define terms to keep things consistent, right? And so, like, obviously for, you know, a lay person, that kind of academic, like, jargon and discord, like, is artifice. But I think, like, uh, most academics would probably agree that you are deliberately building an artifice so that way you can maneuver and talk about language and talk about things in abstraction, you know? I mean, to to, to talk about Joyce without having to be Joyce yourself, you know? Like, I, I think that... That we see that as kind of a necessary component of language in this episode, you know, that it's kind of like, how else is she going to explain the difference between someone who, you know, has a transition from male to female, you know, without these kinds of like incredibly, like, you know, how does she say like for poor black people without using this kind of a language, you know? Right. So it's this no, kind I of. I get it. It's, right. Yeah. And, and I think that's the sophistication of this episode is that mm-hmm. like it is, it is so very intricate in that she, you know, she is true, but she's not a South Park character, you know, like she's not coming. <laughs> And being like, oh my gosh, we get it. Like, no, it works you know. because it's I didn't honest. think she was that shrill, to be honest. With you. <laughs> uh, I don't think tonally she was shrill, but I mean, I think that there's that kind of like um, yeah. uh, a staunchness and kind of she's she's immovable, you know. Right. And yes, like that I again, I think some of that yes. is the, the 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 cog of that you mm-hmm. know show mm-hmm. itself, right? Uh, yeah. But I think just the fact that she doesn't seem like she's willing to have a conversation. Right. She's got the she's the party. It's the party line. Exactly. It. Yeah. It's hard to talk about this without coming across this superior but I think I'd like to have a conversation with her you know what I mean I I don't know that I feel that she's that off-putting you know what I mean no I don't either me right but I think she is designed to be more off-putting than well maybe it's because she reminds me of myself that it's difficult no there's a reason for saying you know oh well the people don't understand her the way I would right no no there's a reason it's paperboy no but I know but I think but again it's asking you to ask this question because again it comes back to audience like 
Who's the audience of Montague? Who's the audience of Atlanta? Right, well, who's the audience of this podcast, right? Right. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> right. So, like, when we did James Joyce, I think that's the most kind of cogent example. Like, I had people responding that were saying, like, this is kind of too dumbed down. And people that were saying, like, oh, this is so far over our heads. You know? Right. It's all relative. Right. right. We're just guys that are trying to make the most of it. Sometimes we come... I could see us coming off as shrill like this lady. <laughs> you know? When we yeah. get into minutia. Some some academic that's dedicated his life to us, we sound like a bunch of pikers. I totally right. understand that. <laughs> this conversation is doing that to somebody now, hopefully. Hopefully sure. they're fucking listening. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I don't really care. But... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But... I, I get that. I get right, that. Right. Um, it, it's all relative. They're, the juxtaposition of these two people, though... Is purposeful. Donald Glover's yes. making this so very specifically dichotomous. Yes. Right? Why would a producer take an academic and then put Paperboy next to them, except to ignite this kind of, you know, flame, right? Because you know it's going to be... Provocative. Provocative and yeah. inciting, you mm-hmm. know? And that's the thing. Um, I mean, it's also he's in the news because he did this Twitter thing. Apparently, we're supposed to read this backstory into it about Caitlyn Jenner and all of this. So, I, I don't know. I, I think the larger critique on this is both of them are being set up. Yes. Yes. In yes. a way. Yeah. Yes. I totally agree with that. To play a role. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not, I don't saying that that shields them from responsibility. They're both adults. They're both in the public eye to a certain extent. No, but it's a setup. But what else setup. are they supposed to say? Right. And, and that's made very clear at the end when right. Monty, you can't make them fight anymore and he's thwarted. You know? Yeah, right. exactly. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's really great. Um, all right. <laughs> Issue number one. But I don't... So what other show out there is having this kind of discussion of leftist politics from these two perspectives, you know, in this nuanced way... Nothing. 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 No. Nothing's Nothing, doing right? it. No. You know, even something like you watch I, I mean, John Oliver or something, mm. you, you know what I mean? There's not that much nuance in it. Nope. You know, it's you hard get... for him to have a back and forth. Right. You know, and I think that, like, Glover has not only, like, the back and forth between, like, you know, in this case, like, Paperboy and, you know, Dr. Deborah Holt, you know, but even right. just, like, the back and forth of, like, episode to episode, like, structure to structure to, like, to be able to be that bold in that way, like... You know, as opposed to, I think, a lot of our kind of especially leftist critique of, like, main, that comes out of mainstream media is, like, that same John Oliver, John Stewart format, you know? It's like, how can we, and Bill Maher to some extent, too, you know? Yeah. Like, how can we pull up clips, talk about new stuff that's happening, and then get to the exciting interview stuff, and, oh, there goes our time, you know? And so I think that that, that, that you can play with form and still make these critiques. Uh, gives, and it opens mm, up a it's, new, it works better in fiction. Yeah. I think yeah. just like as a general, or yeah. in a lot of ways, it just works better in fiction. Yeah, right. It's, I think it's easier to not be didactic, you know. And right. I think that's where critics of Oliver and stuff like that kind of come into play, where he gets a little bit preachy. I mean, obviously, he's he's. I think there's there's a lot of good that comes out of that show. Like you talked about wanting depth in a show instead yeah. of just trying to cover a thousand different topics. But like you know, that this doesn't preach so much as it just kind of like really points fingers just everywhere. Yeah, no, and yeah. and I think it's all purposeful. You know, like. Um, if we are going to call it shrillness or whatever of Dr. Deborah Holt, it's a purpose because we need to put her in that position so that we can see right. the, the release of that later on yes. when they start to see more eye to eye, I guess, and become more humanized, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's not out there for the sake of titillating in the same way, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. Okay. That all being said, right, it's, it's a weird position to be put in to be championing Paperboy stance on transgender issues, right? <laughs> so, 
I'm not sure. Like, I thought back to um, the um, second episode. What is the second episode? It's uh, when they're in jail. Yeah. Go for broke? No, isn't that this? That's uh, the Streets Unlock. Streets Unlock. There we go. They go back to Streets Unlock, and we get the transgender issue in mm-hmm. the holding area yeah. while they're being processed mm-hmm. and all of that. And... Earl Earn saying like, oh well, you know, gender's fluid and it's okay, right? We talked sexuality about sexuality is a spectrum. Sexuality is a spectrum. Now, we talked about that. I think that you know those are even though he's doing it to save his ass in that moment because he's petrified of the results and what this is going to lead to. But that's the right-minded thing, and I think the, the I think show is, Earn really believes that. There's no doubt um, he's progressive. I. I don't know whether the people around him do and whether Paperboy does, but Earn certainly does, right? Donald Glover certainly does, I think. So what is he doing here, really? I, okay. Like, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I, uh, I'm legitimately, like, asking. Okay, <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else. I'm sorry. So um, I, I think, you, you know, you start out with, the tweet originally is, correct me if I'm wrong, that... He wouldn't want to fuck Caitlyn Jenner, right? Yeah. Yes. Y'all saying I'm weird because I wouldn't want to fuck Caitlyn Jenner, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Okay. So if we break that down, like taking out everything apart from it, right? Is that like, so Paperboy doesn't find this particular person sexually attractive. Is there something wrong with that? No. No. But then there's this added layer to it's it not where all it that. Right. That's a little disingenuous. Exactly. Well, no, I mean, like, if you broke it down all the way, which is, I think, how he sees it. Because eventually he says, like, no, I would never... Eventually when we get to that more relief part, or he says, like, no, I would never say that he doesn't have the right to do that. Right? Yeah. It That's kind of the juxtaposition there, which is, like, he definitely thinks that it's weird. Like, yes. he definitely There's thinks no that it is weird. But... At the end of the day, he does, or the end of the episode, right? He does say that, like, I would absolutely, like, say that he has every right to do whatever he wants. I don't care. Yeah. And, like, that's the really the more important piece of it that maybe Donald Glover's pointing out is that, like, no, like, not everybody's just going to, like, get on board with, like, understanding or, or empathizing. But that as long as you, like, recognize that you have no right over somebody else's choice or body or whatever, which is why I think that other character with, like, the, the transracial thing is <laughs> right, so important. Right, right. And why, like, the irony of that is that the idea that, like, no, Paperboy's, like, totally not right-headed on this issue or however you want to think about it. But he is willing to accept it even if he doesn't, like, you know what I mean? So I this is a necessary, let's say evil step to get to the free speech issue. Exactly. Which I totally get. You know, I, I am a free speech absolutist, right? I think you guys are probably less so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right? And that's fine. It's just a difference in opinion. We've had this conversation many times. <laughs> I have to tell the audience. It's a short end. Yeah, it's a- um, but yeah, I think ultimately that's why it's here. You need to have something negative and provocative in order to make that larger point I think about it, expression. Well, and I think it comes down to the... And I'm going to use the word binary, but... It's not a binary, like, either you totally, like, of course. are absolutely for any kind of form of gender expression or sexuality or whatever, or you're totally not. Yeah. You know what I mean? There is gray area there, and, like, to just... I think the problem is, and this is what happens to Paperboy, is when somebody's still trying to figure it out, right? There's people that are still trying to figure out stuff that they don't understand or is right. not in their community or whatever. If you jump down their throat and tell them they're a bad person because they don't get it, or they're not at that point yet, then that's going to stop a conversation and kind of lead to to them not wanting to get it, right? right? I guess. Particularly if they're in some kind of minority status, right? And have their own power dynamic issues in a culture. 
Yeah. Right. I, and again, I'm not trying to make excuses, but you need to create a little contextual empathy. Well, and right? again, and Paperboy makes that argument. But right? that's He's like that's I, also Deborah Holt's argument. Yeah, that's what a, we're saying right now what, is Deborah Holt's argument. Right. While she attacks him, right? It is her argument, but she's not really recognizing what she's doing in this moment. So to that extent, this moment really reminds me of in Go For Broke when Van kind of like scoffs at Earn for not wanting to tip, being like, mm-hmm. oh, what, because you get to make 10%, 20% more than her just because you're a man? It's like, right. yeah, she's right. But in that moment, we have an understanding yes. of context that makes us go like... Wow, I guess that's actually a little bit more complicated than maybe we thought we did. Yes. Um, and so I think that like we have that moment with Dr. Holt and really with like what to some extent Montague is doing, but definitely what Holt's doing in that like it's like a minority reductivism. Like, you yeah. know, that she's yes. kind of beating well, him over the head with his own minority status saying, Look, you should support this person because they are like you. And and his question of like, but nobody supports me. I'm a black man in this country, you know? And I, I you know, reminds me of um I think a lot of the critique that Dave Chappelle got when his tune new Netflix specials came out where people were like, hey, I think he might be transphobic, or hey, there's some some stuff in here that is not uh, as progressive as somebody like, you know, that we would hope who is black and rich could be. And it's like, well, that is a ridiculous expectation, you know, to assume that, like, just because someone is also a minority, that they are also going to be inherently, progressive, yeah. but inherently, like, uh, you know, open and aware and understanding of magically of every other minority's experience. Yeah, I, it, it's a very, it's a very clear critique on liberalism, I think, mm-hmm. right? This kind of, like, closed-mindedness that comes from good intentions. Yes. Right? And, you know, we, we talk about this all the time uh, when the microphone's not on, but I think that is a problem because it it isolates people from the conversation and the people that you want in the conversation. It isolates them automatically. Right. You don't... I don't need to tell other people that already think like me to think like me. They already know. Like, we already think the same way. So how do you kind of extend that? How do you have a conversation? It's so easy to just draw a line and say, if you say this thing, you're not on my team, and I dismiss you. That is poisonous thinking, particularly on a side that is losing badly, which we are. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it it really needs to be more open-minded and inclusive in that kind of thinking. And I think more than anything, that's what Glover is saying here. Yeah. Right? I agree. This kind of, you know, and the media is doing it to us, right? Right. Well, and that's yeah, the point, is. is that that's, the media is yeah. doing it. Like, we're, on a personal person right. basis, like, this wouldn't happen. I want Deborah Holt to be smart enough to not engage, in, and it turns out she's not, right? right. She, uh, she is. Right, right. right. It turns out she is. Um, and it takes a while to get there, but I, I like that opening up, you know, that, that if we could just talk <laughs> like people, <laughs> rather than talk the language of our battle lines, because... Paperboy never does. Paperboy never becomes the stereotype that he's expected to be by Montague, right? Oh. I think he definitely does. Oh. I, think, I think with the, the language is where we really get it. You know, no. he, he, he doesn't get him to be like the transphobic, like a homophobic kind of expectation, but he definitely does get the rapper. He gets the, the exact, you know, that's how he's introduced. And his music, the, the examples they use from his music might demonstrate that. But him in that studio, he says that you can't authentic. even use the word "hoe" anymore, yeah. and they're all like, "Whoa!" Yeah, yeah. And okay. he calls her a bitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, N- no, he does. he does. So okay, so I'm going to <laughs> play devil's advocate very gingerly here a little bit. I think you can say "bitch" without calling her a bitch, and I think there's an ambiguity in that, right? In that so, moment, on the yeah, in that moment. Like, when he says, bitch, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yes, I know what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. I do know what you're saying. I but don't it, think that's... 
it, it can easily come off like that, but I think there's more nuance than, like, because he's, when he says, like, I didn't, what do you mean I called her a bitch? He really did it in that moment. In other words, and there's a conversation we have all the time, intention has to mean something. The language itself, without context, does not tell the whole story. I really don't think he means you're a bitch when he says bitch, blah, 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 whatever that is. But I think you know? he does think she is a bitch anyway, It could though. be. It could be. <laughs> so that's why it's kind of disingenuous when he said, like, do you know what I'm saying? I, I know what you're saying, that it becomes kind of like a filler word in, in that exactly. case when he uses it. Exactly. I agree. But I think based on the way that they interact up until that point, he definitely does think she's a bitch, though. Yeah. So it's kind Probably. of... Probably. I think you're right. So I think it adds that extra layer of... I know. Uh, <laughs> the, the intention there, like, how do you... Okay, but here's the problem. Seizing on the word and vilifying the word... Is a ...changes the conversation so it can't progress any further. Mm. They actually stop talking about what they're talking about in that moment right. and start talking about the word. It, that kind of... That kind of didactic, you know, preaching at each other breaks down conversations. There, I think we have to get beyond that. But isn't that what Montague wants? Right? Like yes. Montague absolutely wants that. that. Like he wants him to call her a bitch. Like he nothing would make him happier. Yeah. But what I'm arguing to get back to it is that um, he's speaking authentically. You know what I mean? And that authentic language might not gel with her sense of proper language, but. I feel more comfortable in something that's real as opposed to, you know, the stilted academia that, that doesn't get I, us anywhere. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I think to her that language is real. Because even when she's talking to him, it's not like she completely changes her. I, I think you're right. I guess I don't think that kind of, that's helpful. I don't think, I don't think it has... But you think place. him saying bitch as filler is helpful? No. No. Okay. no. Okay. But I don't think that should end a healthy conversation. No, no. I, I, I obviously agree with that. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I, in other words, if... So so what is Deborah, Dr. Deborah Holt like, like really dedicating her life to? Something like justice for minority groups, right? You know, whether it be... Um, Sex, sexual or gender-based, whether it's, you know, race, whatever. I, that kind of liberalism speaks to justice, right? Equality, those things. Oh, my God, I'm losing my train of thought now. Um, using that kind of elevated language just doesn't match the reality of their lives, their right? I just don't think it does. And I don't know what it's really doing then, except to train, I guess, a different sector of the population so that can trickle down it's from i've always kind of viewed this as some weird kind of trickle down pompousness you know that doesn't do what now you say okay that's fine for a classroom maybe then but when you're on national tv now your 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 audience isn't some ivy league classroom or something like you know what i mean yeah it it, it's just it's, it's language that stops conversation rather than works towards equality and justice and those things that I think she stands for. Yeah, I mean, I think her tone certainly goes to undercut her her hopes towards justice. Right? I mean, she's so condescending to him, and she's so, like, you know, when, when he does make that statement that Galen brought up before, that, you know, tell me about myself, you know? Like, he makes an excellent point. Like, she's not there Best to line, listen yeah. at all. Like, he, she has no intention of listening. And so, like, to that extent, like, absolutely, like, that's that kind of mouthpiece stuff that, like, is that kind of academic kind of language. Um, but I think that, like, in a lot of ways, what, what she's doing is unpacking language and unpacking like 
like issues that like sure Montague has set her up to not actually come to any kind of conclusion with this kind of stuff and not Montague the person but Montague the you know corporate entity that is you know faceless and even more frightening in the shadows of this show than the host but like you know I think that there's uh, there is a sense that like what she is saying is how you know that awareness of language i think is is a change we're seeing you know whether that's generationally whether that's that's just over time in general but i think like there is an awareness of language that at one point would have been so secluded and relegated to academia that like now i think is part of the population and is part of the zeitgeist which is why yes. you can have an episode like this you Absolutely. know and i i i don't know that this episode seems to be kind of wagging a finger at that expansion of language. You know, I think that there's there's a way in which she's talking that we absolutely look at and we go, oh, it's horrible. Like, yeah. there's no way you were going to come to any conclusion here. Um, but I think that her willingness to, or, or, or the, what her work does, what academics do, is find ways for us to talk about things that we, that are already happening, we just don't know how to talk about them, right? It's to find language more than anything so, else. So, I think the best example is when she starts... Um, critiquing his lyrics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, that's very off-putting. Right? Mm. I think by design, you know? Sure. And he can, there's no layers. There's no layers. Yeah. You know? Like, by the way, I think there's layers. You know what I mean? That, like, that's why we spend hours doing this shit, so right. we can talk about the layers, you know? <laughs> I'm fully against that. But um, there's no layers if you're going to take my language on and do something else with it, right? There's a kind well, of I could, would you ever Would you ever look directly at an author and tell them what they were saying? Exactly. Right. No. Right, that is and hugely so she, pompous. And also yes. the example that she gives is really kind of funny because she's trying to talk about the homosocial spectrum a little <laughs> bit and using the F word, right? She's like, if, I can't remember exactly what it is. Uh, but she's like, if, he's like, if you fuck with me, I'll fuck with you or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, he's like, you know, that's not how I'm trying to use it. I think we as the honest were like, yeah, he's definitely not. No, it's a bad, it's a bad example. Yeah, it's a bad example. There are probably other examples that she could have used. That one's not good. He says it too. He says, I said we're shit. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, have you heard this song? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's so good. Okay. So let's transition into that a little bit. I mean, <clears throat> I'm going to, this is be me being provocative, but don't you want your rap to be like challenging. I want my rap to be challenging. I want it to mm-hmm. uh, rate. I, I mean, you guys have way more tolerance when it comes to a rap track than you would if we were having a pleasant conversation. Sure, absolutely. Oh, right? definitely. Yeah, definitely. Of course. Right. I mean, well, it's art. It's art. So isn't that the thing, right? Shouldn't that artist's voice be just absolute and able to say whatever. There's never a time. I mean, Paperboy makes this point, I think, around the edges, but there's never a time where she says, ah, you know what? This is an expression of your life and this is a kind of fictitious reality you're setting up or, you know, you're putting it to a dance beat. It's not really meant to be, you know, um, expressed in any kind of, you know, important way that would really affect you. That's the case, right? I think that is the most important argument here that, let rap be rap. You know what I mean? I mean, I think it's spot on when he says, you know, this is chickens coming home to roost. You know, when, yeah, when he says, exactly. like, rap is yeah. about, like, exactly. things that ha- needed to have been said that finally need to be said. So, I mean, like, I think that that's, like, a real victory moment for Paperboy there. Like, you know, those kind of, like, power struggles that we've seen back and forth between them. Like, he really makes a great point there. And and I think that, like, you know, it's right before we're cutting to commercial. So, obviously, Montague's starting to see some resolution. It's like, all right, let's, you know, speed it along, right? But I think that, like, that moment, I think, is, is really effective. But, you know, I think also still highlights the kind of complication of this text I mean like 
you know, rap definitely is chickens coming home to roost, but rap is also part of that, you know, media mega giant. No, right? I, agree. I mean, like, there's, the, a, the, there's yeah. a, a kind of corporatization and, and corporate profiting off of these, like, faux provocativeness, you know I mean? like the, Right, the misogyny of a lot of, like, even really popular crap rap, yeah, like, sure. you know what I mean? Like, and to watch that trickle down into mainstream pop and be like, get it? Because this is, like, hip-hop, and it's, it's that awful co-opting, you know I mean? It's the Zan problem all over sure. again, right? I mean, are you exploiting, or are you just a mis- guided fan um, and so I think that that while yes we do want to agree with him that like hey you should be able to like say what you want I think that we also kind of think about how that comes Actually into a corporate out. yeah yeah what, what what happens when you give that role to paperboy then all of a sudden is giving that license to to that corporation to that media to that 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 piece that is bigger than he could ever control and that ultimately is the one making money when he isn't you know like so I agree but I don't think paperboy is at that level so you know what I mean? if yeah. we're talking about like I don't know P Demi P Diddy or Eminem or something like that sure you know I I'll, I'll take that argument um he's a dude that's just hustling on the street you know yeah. uh, that I think there, there is a space or, or a distinction between this kind of pop rap that has become, you know, um, taken out of, you know, its rightful place in small communities and, you know, the, the holdover that still exists. I, I mean, I get it. That's, that's an old school point of view and the internet has changed that quite a bit, you know. Yeah, it's difficult to kind of isolate. I yeah. know. I mean, I'm still working on like a, you know... A, golden age rap mentality where, you know, there's a, a distinct a difference, yeah. you know, between, uh, you know, a Tone Loke song and, uh, and an Eric B. and Rakim song, you know. But I, 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 I don't know that, that Paperboy needs to be given that kind of scrutiny. You know what I mean? I think there is a place for, you know, people that are hustling on the streets to have a voice for themselves and to report back. You know, just like the famous NWA thing. Like, we, we're... You know, we're tell, talking about our lives. Right. You know, this is this is nonfiction we're putting out there. Mm. Like, once we start censoring that away, then I don't know that we can we can trust. You know, voices of artists that are up and coming anymore. You know what I mean? I I, I don't know. I just have such trouble with the idea that if if a piece of art is going to be censored today, it's going to be censored from my team, somebody on the left. That I, yeah. that bugs me out. You know, and I think it's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know why? Because smarmy right wingers are sitting back gleefully and saying that shit, and they're right. Dude, they're censoring right. too. That's I mean, like the, the people on the right are doing even more. Of course. Than, like, and that has historically been yeah, the as, case. as will always be the case. And now they can say that we're the same. That's the myth, I think. It, it might be a myth, but it's becoming less of a myth more and more, and that becomes very uncomfortable. It's the anti. It's the anti PC movement, is what you're talking yes, about. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And this woman, not Montague, because Montague just wants to Montague fight. Montague doesn't care. But this, but Dr. Holt is kind of maybe the representation of that kind of PC culture. But she doesn't really want to silence him. And I think the idea is that the funneling of this system, which is what Brent is pointing out, that it is a myth. Montague is the myth that perpetuates this idea that Dr. Holt yes. wants to silence Paperboy. Right. She doesn't want to silence him. Because right. we see that. She wants to have a conversation with him. But this kind of, this the the overhead of it allows for it to kind of play out that way. And if she's going to play her part, which she does at the beginning, then yeah, she does want to silence him. Okay, what about this? What? So we've talked about in the past the distinction between Al and Paperboy, right? Mm-hmm. I think what we get in that interview room is Al, more so than Paperboy. They want Paperboy there. They want him to be the misogynistic, tr- 
you know, transphobic asshole that he portrays, right? Which I think is a persona to a certain degree. Um, and some of it's probably true as well. You know, I mean, it, it's... There's, yeah, there's... It, it's very <laughs> complex, I think. She, I think, wants to censor Paperboy and has trouble with it once she sees Paperboy's not in the room. Hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? So I think you're partially right. Only when she can see him as a reasonable human. But the voice right. on the radio, I think she wants to yes, stifle. And if that voice is the guy that's sitting in the room, she would continue to want to stifle that. I think that's true. And I think that's a good point in terms of like the art and this kind of conflation of artist and art and that kind of stuff as well to a certain degree. But at the same time, like if we're just going to like... I don't know that we can just give everybody a pass to say awful shit all the time. Well, yeah. And that's kind of what you're, the struggle of it, right? Is I totally get that. You, you know that. I agree with that. Of course you do. In but terms as a, of, yes. I don't want anybody's feelings to be hurt. I want everyone to feel great about themselves and be equal. I just don't know that that lends itself to a healthy society overall. I mean, so and I, I always make this point, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, what we've been seeing in the last couple of years is... People returning to their natural states, you know what I mean? Um, people that are more brazen about their points of view, horrible points of view. But I think I'd rather know that truth than hide behind the kind of PC wall of everybody behaving well. Because you know that shit doesn't fly behind closed doors. That people just act as boorish and ignorant, right, when, you know, they're, they're in a comfortable surrounding, right? <clears throat> That's not real change. That obscures real change. I would rather people spoke their absolute truths and we dealt with that in a more realistic way. But what about influence, though? I, see, Do I don't you know think, what I mean? I don't think that influence is changing. I really don't. I mean, maybe in, in public settings. Yeah, you that's know? what I'm talking but about. But I think public settings are such a small part of influence. People are really influenced by their friends and their families and intimates and and people don't censor an intimate i know no i, I know <laughs> no, what yeah. you're saying i know what you're no, saying i think i mean look i i think that the danger is that that works really well on a person to person level like on an individual human being like people that you know like you would love to be honest with them because you would love to engage in conversations with them sure. my fear and again like obviously these are you know vastly you know uh, uh, like arbitrary abstract kind of notions and things like that but that like if we're going to like allow any form of express if we're going to welcome that like kind of ribald and 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 awful terrible speech you know as as well as saying like, look, let's Welcome's just have this. a weird word. Okay, but but, but to say like, let's come out with it. Like, let's stop yeah. hiding, quote unquote, right behind this like yeah. this faux this this veneer, right? Then we can really deal with it. But I don't think we can because I think what we do is then we we validate it, and what ends up happening mo mostly through media, through structures, which is where I think most people really get their learning more so than just individual person to person, is that structurally we start to say, well, we should see both sides because in the interest of fairness, let's look at both, and 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 which honestly, is which is absolutely a problem. Right. We, 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 I think and we, we keep shifting and we. Keep shifting more right and right and right, right and right and right because of this. So it makes like weird false equivalencies where we say like, well, you know, Hillary Clinton's pretty liberal. I mean, <laughs> no, she's not. She's a war hawk. You know, it's like it's yeah. absurd. You know, but that but that because we're validating both sides and saying, well, hey, look, as long as everybody's just being honest, we'll be fine. Because I think the people who ultimately control those structures that influence people even more so, like look at our education, look at our government, look at I mean our, our media, and I, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist here, but to say that like people in power have that vested interest in staying in power and I think that like the more we kind of condone that idea to say like hey that terrible stuff that's inside of you like let's bring that out I think we should be doing everything possible to hide that shit deep <laughs> down plug it up mask it up like 
I hope you're right. And I think this <laughs> this is a generational problem. Yeah. You know, I've, oh, yeah. I'm a little outdated in this thinking probably, you know, mm. I don't know. But I, I just like, in my heart, don't think it works like that. You mm. know, I hope you're right. Yeah. I really do. Because that's the way things are moving. Right. You know, um, yeah, I'm a dinosaur. I get it. But I don't know. It's scary out there. But, you know, it's funny, I, I kept thinking about this, watching this episode, being yeah. like, oh man, like, free speech, like, uh, there, I know there's a lot to, to unpack here, but I, I, I'm just so impressed, and, and just, of course, dumbfounded by just, like, how elegantly this doesn't give us anything really satisfying to say, like, and that's the end, you know, it's, it's just, there is still a conversation. Alright, so let's, let's skip um, our transracial guy for a second, just go to the, the end of that conversation and play that out, right? So, Paperboy says a couple things that I think bring her around. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is uh, he's asked, are you afraid to speak your mind? And he says, yes, I am. Right. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. That's scary to me. We kind of cover that ground. But that leads into the statement that Caitlyn Jenner is just doing what rich white men have always done, whatever the fuck they want. Yep. Right. Yes. Or whatever that is. And I got to tell you, like, I'm. Pro, any, like, you know, I have no transphobic, I, you know, ideas. I don't care about that. But I fucking hate Caitlyn Jenner. Mm. Is, you know why? No. Because she's an asshole. Yeah, right. Has right. nothing to do with her being Jenner. Right? right, and is actually she- holding up Caitlyn Jenner's kind of not being allowed to say that Caitlyn Jenner is asshole is actually kind of transphobic in that it's like, well, exactly. they're special. It's like, no, they're right. just a person. Right. Like right. anybody else. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think, well, actually, I think the trans community in general has a Absolutely. lot of issues with From Caitlyn what I Jenner. Understand, yes. Absolutely, because Caitlyn Jenner, again, comes back to this wealth issue and fame and all this kind of stuff. Caitlyn Jenner, Jenner's passing narrative is all of a sudden you look so incredibly femme and also the idea that all transgender people automatically then want to look like the very extreme version of whichever gender they are she for me she is a symbol of the commodification the corporatization of you know an identity yes that's that's tragic Uh, you know look i think you can easily make the argument that she has advanced um you know education on it being you know on a a nightmarish reality show or whatever the fuck she's on, you know, yeah. whatever horrible God uh, <laughs> that Kardashian thing is. Um, but I, I think equally, probably more so you could argue that, that she is a horrible corporate chill first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, setting back at a kind of authenticity that is more important than that education. I think the education is going to come no matter what. This type of education is poisonous, damaging. That Call Me Caitlin Vanity Fair cover, right? Like, got so much um, media coverage for such a long time. It's tough. And there's, it is, it's it's complicated. And I think, again, like, using Caitlyn Jenner specifically in this episode, again, speaks to so many complexities. And that line that Paperboy says is like, you're like, shit. Yeah, like, that is Caitlyn Jenner, right? That there is, like, there's so much wealth wrapped into this, right? And that, like, Caitlyn Jenner can get away with this because Caitlyn Jenner isn't going to lose her job. Right. Right, I mean, part of the, part <laughs> because, of the reason... you know, to like, like, Caitlyn Jenner isn't going to... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason why, like, this idea of justice, right? I mean, like, if that's really what, you know, Dr. Holt's going to represent here, like, if her goal is justice, like, there is no justice in the fact that, like, you know, this one person has tremendous success, whereas, like, you know, if, if, if her focus is on, like, you know, suicide rates of trans teens, you know, and, like, the real, like, horrible, actual, like, systemic, mm-hmm. you know, like, exclusion and, 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 and just kind of, like, persecution that trans people 
double-faced, I think we would feel very differently about her. But that, like, Caitlyn Jenner is the person that she has to come and defend is, like, really? Like, this woman who donated money to Donald Trump? Like, that's the person that we're going to have to say, like, yeah, she needs mm-hmm. she needs your help against Paperboy, you know? Like, <laughs> right, right. Who could not be any lower on the totem pole. It's the structure of power within yeah. us. Exactly. Right. There's such a false equivalency yes. that I think we need to be pointing out here, right? Mm-hmm. right. That's why, I mean... Even when she comes around, I'm st- I'm glad. You know, even though Paperboy's views are not on my side, right. I I have to side with him. I think it's, I don't know. And I think, by the way, the the end of the argument's a little bit disingenuous. I could see it happening in that way on the show, but when he says freedom of speech and she just goes, "Oh yeah, no, you're right, absolutely." I don't think a person with that kind of mentality right. would be so quick to acquiesce and say, "Oh yeah, no, freedom of speech, of course." It's a moment that feels like a punchline. It it really does. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, I have a slight criticism. You know, if anything, that would be that moment. It's a little too pat at Mm. the end. Mm. Um, Because I don't really think she has demonstrated in any way that she's a freedom of speech absolutist, which she portrays there. I could see the character changing in that moment because she sees a human there. Mm -hmm. And seeing that like, oh yeah, no, I see now that you should have freedom of speech because of the context that you have just built up in your argument. But I don't think that mm. that as a kind of absolute is something she really believes in. Yeah. Or would believe in, sure. generally speaking. Or or would, I mean, and you don't get the sense that she would respond to any question with just say, yep. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, these, these are people who talk for a living, like, yeah. even if she agreed, that, that would be a, a long agreement. Yeah. I, I think in order to do that, I'd have to believe that in that moment she believes, like, Oh yeah, all of this sucks, and it's all I, I right, you know, the way that we're talking about it now. <laughs> but uh, I mean, just the the screen time of those what two or three segments comes to what ten minutes. Yeah, it's shocking how much information is packed. Yeah, in there. it's really well done. Right, because they take the format of a cable news show, which just you know throws a bunch of shit at the wall, right, and does that, but also does all this smart critique on top of it. I think this is. So well written, mm. so economic. Yeah, every line counts. You know, it's really amazing. Um, okay, but what about race? <laughs> so I don't know what to do about this. Please help me. So now we're going to the transracial thing. I am not supposed to understand transracial as legitimate. I think this is Donald Glover's point of view. I think. I don't know that I have the authority to say I agree or disagree with this, uh, but um, this is a thing in the world, right? Which has already been played with in Zan, right? Right, um, and with with Bieber, right? The Biebs in that episode. So it's something that's definitely on Glover's mind, right? We had the incident of the woman that was passing as black. Uh, Rachel Dolezal. Yeah, good. Yeah. Right, it was like what two years ago at this point. Uh, two yeah. Years ago, yeah, yeah. So this is a thing out in the world, right? But by juxta- this is clearly being juxtaposed against transgender here. Yeah. I think mostly for for fun though, right? Yeah, I think we're. Su- I don't think we're supposed to look at this and be like, oh yeah, I guess transgenderism is pretty weird. You know, like I think we're supposed to look at this and go, this is not the same thing. Like this is clearly like this media show has missed the difference between like transracial and transgender kinds of jumps you know like I it's 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 the part that feels like comedy it's the part that feels like I mean it is like a, a it, it's like a John Oliver segment back in the old Daily Show you know like not where it's like a, where he's like doing this kind of like right. faux interview so I, I want to say like 
oh yeah, isn't this funny? Of course transracial is not the same thing. It's like, but I don't know that in 10 years that's going to, to make me look great. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, I do, I do. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And by the way, and I don't want to, I, you know, I don't care if I look great or not. I just don't want to be presumptuous. Right. You know, because who knows? I mean, 10 no, years I know. ago, it, it 10 years ago, when, if I said gender is a clear, distinctive group that makes sense and that was perfectly, you know, a reasonable thing to say, it's not now. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand the reasons why. Is there something in race... I, see, right now, I think there is a clear difference that I can, I can codify and feel great about, like, declaring, mm -hmm. but I don't know that that's the end of the story. Right, because there's the one moment where Harrison says that. Not Antoine. Not Antoine. Harrison Booth. <laughs> Harrison <laughs> By the way, those names are perfect. Oh, oh my yeah. God, all the names perfect. in the whole thing. Antoine Smalls to Harrison Booth. <laughs> Harrison says, you know, what they don't understand is that race is a social construct. Right. Right. Which and is what people say about gender. Gender, Exactly. So there is that moment where you're like, at least for me watching it, because you are like, this is so stupid. Not stupid, but like silly, really. Yeah, not right. stupid, but silly. And then he says that, and you're like, huh? Exactly. Because yeah. logically, it follows in a way, right? And again, I know what you're saying, because I'm not ready to say that this is the same thing as being... I, I don't think I am. Right? No. In fact, I, I, I'm not sure if it's offensive to say that. I, I know, I, I think know. both answers could be offensive. Yes. Mm -hmm. I right? agree. You know? Yeah, yeah. Clearly, though, we are supposed to be challenged by this, I think. Right? So, it's not even the race thing. It's that he's claiming to be 35. <laughs> well, then he takes it so far. And, like, he's saying where he works. He works at Coca-Cola. And he, he goes, you work at the mall and Coca-Cola? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, correct. That's correct. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Right? Because he's clearly delusional and fucked up. But, um... But the idea, like, I can just claim I'm 35, right? The mother is brilliant, right? What does she say? Like, you know... I can wake up and say I'm Rihanna, I'm but... I'm Rihanna, but I ain't, right, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, that's true. You can't just decide you are any fucking thing in the world because it's not physically <laughs> reality. But I don't know if this is... I'm comfortable putting this in that category mm -hmm. yet. Right. Well, I mean, I think, like, from a generational perspective, it really doesn't shock me that you, like, really jumped in with the mom there, you know? I mean, like, just because it's that idea of, like, you know, 10 years ago, like, if this had been, and I'm sure there were, you know, CBS specials at 10 about, you know, he's using her pronouns or whatever kind of shock value thing that was there. And there's, you know, definitely the commercial cutaway clip where it goes, I, I always thought he's a boy, you know? Like, I can't just wake up one day and say I'm a girl. It's like, well, why couldn't you? Yeah, I don't know. But, but it's something where you're right, like, 10 years ago. It makes ago, you think about it. It, right, right. The ten years ago, that would have been a much um, that that could have theoretically been that yeah that parent, you know. So yeah, I really don't know what to make of it overall. Like, yeah, it's it's complicated. But I, you know, again, this is this is Glover all over, right? Take not content with just the critique of today, taking it to the next level and kind of like shaking us up a little bit. It's fucking brilliant. I think, you know, it comes back to the, I think, the critique of media in that, like, ultimately, Montague wants him to play a role, too. Like, he wants him to come in and be like, how dare you, you know, um, how dare you, paperboy, like, say what you said. Like, we should all be on the same side here. And he doesn't at all. And so, like, Montague's totally on his ass. Like, he has no idea what to do. Like, paperboy's losing it because, like, it's, of course, like, not only yeah, felon degenerous, you know, like, not only does he have, like, a line after a line after a line about it, but it's just, like, this kid did not play his role. Like, you expected this minority to stick with all the other minorities, uh, but he wouldn't because he's his own person. And but while he's doing that, Dr. Deborah Holt is like 
is like scolding him like oh this is terrible yeah <laughs> like, you know, yeah you're right? and and it's just going into the same cycle again like even though they've come together on this it, it's not now gonna paper voice is making fun of him and she's <laughs> telling him why it's bad but and... isn't it funny when he makes fun of him i don't want to live in a oh, world where paperboy can't make fun of antoine smalls i want to live in the world where that's okay yes because <laughs> it's better it's fun <laughs> i think i think the false equivalency though that we kind of see here and we see this and this is part of the humor like the part where he their their walk it's like the the, the walking interview part and he sees the guy talking to the cops so and he makes the claim he's like it's it was him he doesn't even live in this neighborhood and he's like I'm the one who called the cops I called the cops exactly because and stop dressing so weird like that whole thing because it's this idea that he he says why because he starts out saying why am I not getting the respect that I deserve yeah. and that's that part and so he realizes he's a 35 year old white man yeah. so that he can get the respect that he deserves the false equivalence here is that like Trans people don't try, don't like want to, you know what I mean? Don't right, identify no, as a different gender to get to right. get something out of there's it. There's no benefits know? on that. There's there, no yeah. benefit to it. And well, that's the right? uh, actually there well, was a benefit for Caitlyn Jenner. Well, yes. But that's but that's <laughs> because of the that's that's exceptional. I, it happens right? to I mean, be a benefit, but she benefited from that. Right, right, but from the media coverage of this. I'm talking about I'm not like, suggesting she did it because of that. That's what no, I mean. That's right. what I'm saying. Like the idea is like I I mean, I guess it's possible that there's somebody out there, but like nobody Statistically, you almost cannot benefit from it. Exactly. You know? like, exactly. Yes. Right. Whereas, like, unless you are incredibly crazy wealthy, unless right? You're, whereas, you're right. Whereas, right. This, is, this idea yeah. of, you know, being transracial is like there's a history of it. Like there's a history of like lighter skinned sure. slaves like becoming Absolutely. and passing as white for that benefit. And so that's kind of the the false equivalency with this idea of being transracial. So right? that's what that's and, what I'm Right. I, I'm a little, you know... How do you talk about hedging, that? Hedging, right? Because right. I, I can imagine a mixed-race person that gets to decide or gets to check the box they want. I don't know that that's right. that controversial. But I think no. so often that's used as a bludgeon against them. I literally right. heard a student in my class this week make a comment about, like, well, if Colin Kaepernick would just say that he was white, he could do whatever he wants. And it's like, well, that's not really true. Or, like, his call to make that decision. No. Like, there's there, are, I think, are complexities to that, like, biracialism, just the same way there are complexities, obviously, to any kind of, like, transgendered or, or any kind of, you know, nuanced human being's existence. But that, like, that, uh, ultimately, when you are lower on that pole, like, your exception becomes a bludgeon as opposed to like something that sets you apart for any kind of positive or benefit. I mean, I think that's what that's what Paperboy is being dealt with here, you know, like he's lower on the spectrum, so he's going to get beat up on, you know, because yeah. of the thing that made him lower on the spectrum, you know. It's I I think that that's just well handled in this, yeah. you know. All right, that. so so before we we get the, the cutaway segment though, like just as a parody, the thing is brilliant, oh, right? Oh yeah. The I love the pause with the guy just like looking up into the sky for like three seconds. <laughs> and before, a skyline right down to him. Before he starts talking. And um, one of the first things he says is, uh, you know, um, uh, he's this kind of guy, this guy. He even listens, listens to, to music, music in, his music room. in his room. I like, laughed at them both times I watched this episode because it's like, what? That's but it's so perfect. Weird. It's yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that that moment where they're just nodding at the table, just smiling at each other, which just like felt like right out of Stella. Oh, just yeah. Like, oh yeah, that's good. And uh, the so when they cut away to the doctor, the dermatologist, and he says um, it's one hundred percent possible, he's gonna look weird though, yeah. right? Like that is interesting because I I, I locked into the word weird because that's the word that got paperboy, paperboy in trouble, in trouble. Mm. right? Mm. There's something going on there, you know. So 
is it in 10 years that this guy has to be the paper boy on a panel describing why he said weird and what that right, means? Right, right. I, I think there's, I think that that's pointed. Mm-hmm. There's something going mm-hmm. on. Um, it, it's, the way that it just kind of doubled back on itself is, but, is great. But he's a doctor. Well, sure. You know, right? And yeah, so, yeah. so that, 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 you know, how interesting that, like, he's not being pulled in in this moment, you know? Like, the, the, the host doesn't grow him and say, like, what do you mean weird? You yeah. know, like, there is no questioning there. Yeah, right. I know. All but right, also right. a segment that's designed to have resolution, right? I mean, like, how different from, like, the Montague space that is, like, you know, only designed to just kind of keep the plate spinning as opposed to, like, this segment is going to conclude, so we have to make sure it comes to some complete resolution there, you know, that they don't have to worry about with the rest of the episode. Yeah, because that space looks like... I mean, it's weird. I, I always thought about this in Charlie Rose, like, as well. Like, like where are they? Like, what are they going for? Who are like, they hiding from? Yeah, some kind, like, like, some kind of, like, blackout room. Am I supposed to believe that, like, <laughs> there's nothingness? Like, we're, like, you know, beyond this? Like, it's very strange. I guess I appreciate better than, like, the facade of a brick wall or something mm-hmm. like that, but... He does put you in a weird space. Yeah. Like, what well, I love, you know, like the weird parts of that apparatus, like the mugs, like a brilliant, you know, and that like Paperboy's the only one who drinks from the mug, you know, like I, I was thinking about this during the World Series because David Ortiz is the only one who drinks from them. All these guys are like professional speakers who are like, you know, really good English speakers. You got a guy who's like English is the second or third language and he's just like spending most of his time just drinking his mug. He's got no notes. He's got no laptop in front of him. He's just, you know, they're ready to go. <laughs> so when we get back to um, Antoine later... I love that he's against gay marriage, <laughs> right? He calls that's, it an abomination. That's unnatural. That's amazing, right? Not only because, you know, and it, it's demonstrating what Dr. Deborah Holt was talking about with Paperboy, right? That, like, you know, how could you be against another oppressed minority group since you're an oppressed minority, right? All of that. But that... He's taking on the mentality of a typical 35-year-old white guy. Right. <laughs> it's, it's so brilliant. <laughs> right, that he won't even recognize this as an issue because he doesn't see himself as Antoine Small. He's Harrison Booth. So what are you even asking me this for? It's crazy. Right? <laughs> it's, so, it's fucking nuts, man. This episode is nuts. Oh, yeah. We haven't even gotten to the weird part yet. It is nuts, right? Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's the last place we're going. By the way, this was written by Glover, right? Yeah, and he yeah. directed it too. I think yeah, he had full, and he has mentioned once. It shows, right? When uh, yes. when right, I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> oh, what's such a good moment? I'm just trying to get paid. That's why I'm here. You're not getting paid for this. <laughs> so uh, I like that he got a shot, and I also like the idea that like earns there handling things over the you know, clearly behind, right some... off behind the camera or something. Okay, so. We purposely segmented these out because my brain can't handle everything at once. So now let's go to the commercials. Yes. Which is probably the most innovative part of this all, you know, in a show that is ridiculously innovative anyway. Mm. So there are six distinct commercials. <laughs> all right. Um, the first one, let's go through my order. Okay. The first one is the Dodge Charger commercial, which is a three-parter. Yes. Part of the suite. Yes. Now, I... This was the one that I thought was weakest when I first saw this, because I didn't really... I thought, like, is there an inside joke with the Dodge Charger being kind of, like, basic or something? Like, I didn't really get the thing, like, with it. But when I was... This will timestamp this a little. When I was listening to the last episode we put out, which was the fourth one, Streisand Effect, and I listened to it a couple days ago... We gave, I gave myself the clue, right? <laughs> Where we were, t- <laughs> I would show. when Paperboy is in the pool hall 
and he's getting texts from Zan and all this. And he goes up to the bartender or pool hall manager guy, right? And the guy says, hey, you're not... Um, yeah, I know that guy, but don't worry about them. Another guy was here. That guy's in a Dodge Charger. Hmm. And right? he's got swishers. And he's got swishers, right? These are reference. Most of these things in these commercials are references back to old episodes. Hmm. I thought they were references back just to kind of general Atlanta neighborhood things, yeah. of course, right? And they certainly are that as well. But they're specifically references back. The do- so remember the Dodge Charger guy? He had something like half his head was shaved, and he was kind of like shady and all that. I think that's this guy. Oh, the guy that drives around. So it's this weird kind of meta reference. Like, um, it's almost like Paperboy and Ern's lives are being kind of projected onto the commercials oh. that are contextualizing this BAN show. Well, it gives them a dreamlike quality. You know, like, yeah. it makes it very much like, yeah, oh, okay. Back like, to that first episode. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, I, this is one that I uh, had, I, I saw this uh, as I was looking at the cast list for this episode. So speaking of, like, things that have come back from previous episodes, uh, a one Erskine C, or no, so not him. Uh, who is it? Who is it? Uh, I got his name here. Uh, oh, yes, uh, Emmett Hunter yeah. shows up in this as well? Yeah. We'll, we'll get oh, my God, sorry, crazy. That's, that's the, all those throwbacks. <laughs> I know. So, right, that's why I included Earn, right? Because it's not just Paperboy, it's like Earn. Right. It's like they're kind of small collective unconscious is being kind of projected into the commercial realm. Now, I'm, I'm going to take it a bridge too far right now. I'm going to do a Dr. Deborah Holt here. But, Ooh. yes. But this this is saying something about the commercialization of their lives, right? I mean, so, and I think it's saying something very specifically about Atlanta. Yes. And some, and, and it's almost kind of self-evaluative, mm-hmm. or I see a lot I agree. of no, tension in it, right? You, you see what I'm getting at? Yes. There's a sense that while Donald Glover is doing a really great thing by exposing me to these people... Is he not benefiting from he it? He is benefiting from it and mm-hmm. bastardizing and making quaint, mm-hmm. you know, these real struggles that people have. And I think this is a kind of self-critique or a self-mockery. And that's why they're so kind of strangely, ghostly represented of the characters in the show. Hmm. Right? That, yeah. that So Atlanta is to Donald Glover as the Dodge Charger commercial is to Paperboy, in a sense. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, no, yeah. it does. It does. Right. Um, which... Is is fucking blowing my mind, right. right? I feel like I'm swearing a lot in this episode. <laughs> Free speech, I man. I know. I'm very excited about this episode. <laughs> um, but no, I mean that is that is some of the coolest postmodern shit I can think of in a long time. Because I mean, I don't know. Most postmodern shit like is not impressive anymore. It's kind of I already been done. Yeah. It's already been done, right? And people are just warming shit. Or I, I'm almost like on the other side. I just want something that's fucking authentic. <laughs> Except, I guess, if you're Donald Glover, because this is amazing. Right. Every postmodern move he makes blows my mind. It is incredible. Yeah. Right? It's incredible what he's doing here. And I gotta say, it's it's a really surreal experience to watch yeah. this with... Um, we watched it on Hulu, and there are commercials on there. <gasps> yes. And so to like bounce right, back okay. and forth between these commercials and then the real that commercials... That first Dodge Charger commercial, I at first did not know that it was the show. It looks impeccable. Yeah. The film quality... Everything. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Even there's a little statement on the bottom that says... Do not attempt. Do not attempt. This on a closed, you know, uh, street or something. It's impeccable, right? And and 
until you get at the end and he's dead around no pants on. It's ridiculous. But, um, and, and the statement, right? Um, make a statement without saying anything at all, right? Yeah. Now, I don't even really know what that critique is. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> they just kind of made a statement without really having to say anything at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, again, I do think there's something like more simple that I just don't know the cultural reference to about Dodge Chargers. I think mm. I'm not sure. But um, it's, it's so, the filmmaking, just as parody. Mm. is brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. Well, and I think it's 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 so exciting because so often parody is like kind of punchline based, you know. It's yeah. like what is the what is the gist or the gimmick or the the turn of it, you know? And like so many of these don't really have that. Like the Dodge Charger one, I guess, does with that third kind of commercial. But like for the most part, there's not like a oh ha 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 oops I crap my pants let's move yeah, on, yeah, you yeah. know. It just it keeps kind of unfolding. You're like this is the whole commercial, huh? Oh gosh, it's just going to do this. Um, and I, I was just amazed, you know, at like how awful all those other commercials look like to, to watch somebody do like banking on their phone was just so like, I felt gross. Like I felt disgusting to watch it. And, the like, actual commercial and, and it looked so absurd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was one of those things where it was like, why would they show this woman who has like hundreds of thousands of dollars in her account? Just like, whoop, let me just pop that up right here. You know, like it felt like, oh right. She's the charger, you know, like she's that thing where I'm like, oh, I could have one of those. I'm, I'm a person watching TV she's a person in the TV how hard could it be and, and I'm like <laughs> that like that just juxtaposition is so like oh it's tasty and normally like commercials are when I am like zoning out or like gathering yeah, my right. notes together or like getting my drink while I know I have 75 seconds before I have to come back and you know to, to just have to sit there and like confront them was was jarring to say the least that's great because uh, I watch this without regular commercials mm-hmm. around it and I didn't even think of that but it's such a, a indictment of what else is going around? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then to come back into it right after the commercial break, you know, all of a sudden, then it's it's you know even more absurd. It's even more like, well, how is this any like like what seemed like such parody before the commercial break? Now afterward, it's like, how yeah. is this even? It's close? like the most authentic watching a TV show of a TV show I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay, then we have another. We the next three commercials. I think all speak to very specific cultural ideas, you know, um, I, I, I'm assuming, right? You know, honestly, these are things that like, I don't really confront every day, but they have enough kind of specific qualities that I think, I mean, Glover always said, right, you know, th- I want this show to, I want people that watch this to feel like they live in Atlanta and have an authentic Atlanta experience, you know, specific to these you know, neighborhoods or whatever. And I think that's what's going on here, right? So you have the Arizona tea commercial. <laughs> I love that. Which I, I have a specific <laughs> affection for because um, my parents went to Delhi years ago. And I literally had this problem over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> literally. So, <laughs> but the price is on the can. But we don't charge that price, right? <laughs> which is, I, and I get why. I know why, right? Because you're in this corner store independent and the retail prices can't match those because you'll get, you can't live like that. Right. You know what I mean? You have to up the price. But when they're both sitting there and they just can't understand how this could be, it's right. The the clerk and the guy that wants to buy it. Like, yeah. how could this be? Well, it could be because everybody is in conspiracy against you know the consumer or the small businessman. They're in right. it together. Right. They're the know? last two people to find out anyway. You know. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. So it's why so is, simple and it's so good. Right. So why is the price on the can? I imagine. It's so, right, it's Arizona. So they look good. So they look good. Or so they're trying to force 
the middleman into conforming, you know, in some way. But you can conform. No small business can sell Arizona for right. whatever it is, 89, 89 cents. cents yeah. You know, you know, one can get stolen and, and it can, you don't make no profit on a the case then, you know. Right. I, I get the economics of it all. But, <laughs> but if you're just a guy trying to buy a can of Arizona, the price is, it's on the can though. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can't part, remove it. You can't it's remove. on the can. Yeah. It's so funny. Well, and it's so good. I mean, like, how often do you leave a commercial unresolved? You know, where, like, somebody doesn't get the product. Somebody yeah. doesn't do the, like, the one job you have in a McDonald's commercial is buy the product, you know? Right, and, like, right, here right. it's like, he wants to, and, like, he can't, but he really wants to, you know? Like, yeah. the, uh, what a t- horrifying way to, like, double down on your incentive. It's like, no, it's okay. Like, just keep pushing. The price is on the can. You'll get there. So I, I think... The thesis of all of these commercials is built into the next one, which is the Mickey's Malt Liquor. <laughs> and the tagline is, you're drinking it wrong, right? All of these, I think, are some kind of sense of the manufacturer, the corporation, right, knows the best way to do this, right? It's the case with the Swisher Sweets as well, right? Yeah. We all know that you're going to wrap weed in. Yeah. It's a wrapper it's for a weed. Blood <laughs> but, you know, we have to all pretend, you know, we have to go through it. Um... So it's all just trying to point out the, the just kind of absurdity mm. of corporate systems, I think, you know, the, but they both look amazing. They both look amazing. Yeah, well, the absurdity and the resources, you know, I mean, like that even malt liquor, like even that 99 cent Arizona iced tea, like it's not just the Dodge Charger that's advertising <laughs> right. for you this way. Like it's that thing that's just a buck is still putting so much money into getting you to pay, spend that buck. Yeah. You know, I think the, 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 the sprawl of it is, is overwhelming. Yeah. Um, yeah, the commercials, I, I mean, it, it gets such a voice, like, like the, the guy at the masquerade party, like moving through and all that. It's Dodging so, the magic. It's so silly, but like the reveal. The woman doesn't have the mask on yeah. too that he's bringing it to. Yeah, I know. It, it just looks great. Um, and by the way, that, that is another reference to a, um, paperboy thing, right? Cause he goes in the. It's in um, uh, the, the jail episode again, the second episode, where he goes into the store and has, you know, buys the Swisher Sweets, right? You know, so I, I think all these things are embedded in their lives mm-hmm. in some way. I don't know if I can make much of that, but... Well, I mean, I think it's the idea that, like, uh, you know, our, our <laughs> that, that, that line between, you know, fiction and nonfiction, that line between, like, what is media and what is real, like, I think it's just kind of blurring those lines, you know, obviously because we've got, like, fake commercials within commercials, but the fact that, like, you know, these things come into their real lives and their real lives kind of come into these things, like, these these are reciprocal. People are watching these, yeah. you know. Um, it gives us a sense of audience, even if we're not that intended audience. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, okay. Now we get into the two weird ones, right? So the next one is uh, our guy, Emmett Hunter III, right? So he's going to return as the kind of mystic, right? So this, I don't know what to do with, except that I think from the first episode, we're supposed to take that confrontation on the bus as like a real important moment for Ern, Mm. right? Or at least it's built up like Mm -hmm. that, that it means something. And this undercuts that so drastically, right? Because this is supposed to be hokum, right? Ridiculous, exploitative nonsense. Nutella sandwich. (laughs) Right. Once I bit into that Nutella sandwich, (laughs) everything was all right. It's just so funny. It has no substance. It doesn't mean anything, right? Um, Even though I think (laughs) the fiction that we saw is supposed to mean something. This is another instance of the show commenting on its own artifice, Mm. I think. Um, 
yeah, I don't really know what to do with it beyond that, except I love that actor so much, <laughs> and... I mean, I think it is the commercial. I mean, obviously, it's the commercial with the lowest budget. Like, it's the one that, like, so clearly is, like, not of yeah. the, like, yeah, and Dodge, I, Arizona. I it, love that it's that local. happens. Yeah, I love that that happens because it really takes you out of it when you're watching actual television and there is a yes. local commercial because the disparity between the way those two things look is absolutely, like, takes you out of it. You can't even watch the commercial, or at least for me. Yeah. Like, and it's it's so interesting. It actually makes me watch those commercials more because I'm like, what am I looking at? Yeah. Um, because it looks so bad it's grainy all those things and like even like the the text overlay like the whole thing but it is this kind of local commercial and a lot of those local like they they kind of get people to, to do oh, stuff more so right they like, must they exist for a reason yeah they have to work right um yeah it's so interesting so there's two takes on it i have and like i'm gonna put a whole lot of stock in these but if we want to kind of play out the logic game i think there's two ways to think about this number one He's a guy when he meets Ern. So between episode seven and episode one, we can imagine that, what, six months has gone by, say, right? Who knows? Um, has, is it the case that that guy was a guy that was a mystic, just happened to be riding the bus, and he's trying to, like, recruit Ern into something, right? Or is it that, you know, he has gained fame and a kind of marketing scheme since then, so now he's showing up, right? I think there's a way we can really kind of embed this in the reality of the show and say something about the kind of mystical being co-opted for, hmm. Com- yeah, for commercial, commercial gain, yeah, yeah. You know, which is right in line with everything that is happening on Montague show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it also possible that it could be the opposite, right? That, like, this is something that, like, Ern has fallen asleep watching this kind of show, and so, like, that's kind of where his hallucination stems from, you know? And that, like, the commercialism just, like, lives in the back of our kind of subconscious, like, even without us being cognizant of, like, hey, you're from that thing. Maybe. I mean, he does say, uh, my name is uh, Ahmad White. You might know me from your dreams. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I had, such a good line. I hadn't thought of it, but maybe we are in Ern's dream through this whole thing, right? Could be. This is uh this is what he's uh working out as he falls asleep watching television or something. Yeah, look. I like that. I like that theory. Okay. <laughs> now we get to the pinnacle, the climax, which is the coconut crunchos. Yeah. Uh, d- devastating, right? And I really don't know what to do with this. You know, I mean, beyond it just being, like, you know, relentless social, you know, critique, but it's the only one that really doesn't fit into this kind of specific narrative of their lives coming, Mm -hmm. their specific lives coming to to bear. But I guess if we wanted to kind of keep playing that theme out, this is a sense of their lives because of the specific pain that this is referencing. Right? Mm. Yeah, maybe maybe that is it. You know, the idea that it's being relegated to the cartoon and kind of done in this guise of innocence and all that, you know, car- uh, you know, sugary syrical peddling kind of comes with is particularly gross, I guess. Mm. Well, yeah, in a sense of justice, you know? I mean, like, you know, we, yeah. see, we see that, especially, you know, to contrast Holt, you know, like as a character, like somebody who's trying to fight for justice. Like, yeah. here's this very obvious example of injustice that, like, of course, you know, symbolically, we've got our big white police officer, right? We've got our, like, black, already beat up, like, mummy, you know, African wolf character, right? You know, I mean, that there's, like, this, this, uh, there's already this huge 
kind of gap that's that's um, I, I think in there that that they just have to let go, and it's just like it's so uncomfortable to just kind of watch that. Yeah, the details are amazing. Like um, when he the stop resisting, stop resisting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they put out their phones right oh, away. Oh yeah, they pick yeah. up their phones it's and like chilling. It is. It was. It is. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that little kid being like, "Look, maybe he should just have some of the cereal. Like, maybe this is the way it should be. You know, like is this? I think kind of not. You guys too, know like, the coconut crunches are just for kids. Why? Like, yeah, like, right. right. Just have some. Well, he looks hungry. It's the arbitrary nature of the law, right? right? And and wealth distribution. You know, Absolutely. this idea that like, look, why don't we just give some to him? And and she accuses the cop. She's like, you know, you had some of these. Like, you're not a kid. Like, you yeah. eaten this. You know, and that like everyone gets to have it except the criminal. Like, yeah. except for this person who never stood a chance. You know, despite his resourcefulness despite how much we may like pretend to praise that in others like not in him mm-hmm. so that line that you said um really brings me back to second episode again where you have the the mentally disturbed person in, in the jail yeah. and urge says shouldn't we get this guy some help yeah. and the cop says you know shut up man yeah. right it's a, it's almost like the same thing being yeah. played out in this kind of like distorted surreal you know sense of it yeah um so I guess that that is kind of a uh, a kind of connection too. But yet, no. The more we talk about it, the more it it almost is a kind of like dream reality of these characters' lives in a sense. Yeah, but I'm trying to think. Is there any time that they're actually eating cereal? I think when 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 Darius opens the door. Oh, the characters. I don't know. Yeah, when Darius opens the door with the, the first ba- episode. Yeah, with the Batman guy there. Oh, this yeah. Is there, like moment? you think they're cr- they're uh, coconut crunches? I don't know, but he's eating a bowl of cereal. We have seen Montague before, right? We saw Montague in um, in that episode, episode right? Two, where yeah, Streets Online. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I have to go back and look now. I bet there's a bunch of little nuggets here. I mean, we're just talking little about the Easter ones eggs. that I can, I do no research on this. Like I I look at no sources. You know. Like, yeah. I don't... Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That that's really interesting though. I bet there's a bunch more. Also, Coconut Crunchos is just like a oh. great name. The animation style of it is spot on. It yeah. reminds me of that late '90s, early 2000s animation style for the Burger King commercials. That's what it looked like. That's what it reminded me of. I don't know that. I don't remember that. I mean, okay. it, it, well, I mean, it does look. Okay. Like it's specifically going back to like old tricks commercials. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, it's a trope cookie of crisp, you know, cookie all that. Crisp, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. It's it's like very bubbly, very heavily outlined, right? Yeah, right. like it's going out of its way to be kind of like appeal to real young kids. It's yeah. a Saturday morning cartoon yeah, commercial, definitely. you know, that's like still right. in Saturday morning cartoon mode. Right. So it's interesting the commer- like the juxtaposition even of that cereal because it's clearly an adult. Program like even the rest of the commercials are clearly targeted at adults, which I think again speaks to the idea that like yeah, adults are eating this like right. you know yes. what I mean? <laughs> like of course right why would it they're be the that? or they're the ones that buy it like <laughs> right. regardless of who's yeah. eating it right. like you know why would this be advertised on Montague? That's good. Um, yeah, it's just it's so shocking and and disturbing that thing, but I. Coconut, coconut crunches is terrible. I'm not a big fan of coconuts. Mm-hmm. I just picture like these little like dried out coconut shards and milk. It sounds terrible to me. <laughs> it's flakes. Yeah. I think it sounds kind of good. Yeah. You, you don't like coconut either. Nah, I don't know. I like coconut. I don't like the dried coconut. That's right. Ugh. Like yeah, flavor is fine. It's the texture. Coconut flakes, right? No, but it's called something else that's grosser than dehydrated. <laughs> Regular. <laughs> ooh, ooh. All right, so just a couple more things. Um... What do you make a ban? B A N. Uh, I thought I was trying to do something with that. I mean, it clearly looks like B E T, and I think that's 
the reason for it. But bad has a certain connotation. The word you mean connotation to it. That I, I don't know. Am I oh, censorship? Yeah, something like right? Ban something. I, I think um, I think there's probably some play in that. You know, um, I mean, they, what is it like? Uh, what is it? Something Black American Network? Is that yeah, what it, Black American Network. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, they could have called it any, you know, three letters that had... Black and... Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I guess not too interesting. And the other thing is, um, this one's... St- there's no Atlanta introduction. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And there's no real kind of a pop music beside the irritating music of Which both. Which is perfect. It's, it's perfect. And, you know... I get why, you know, you want to create and maintain the illusion of this being a kind of different space. But, uh, but I don't know how I'm going to produce this on the podcast. I guess that's my problem. Oh, yeah. I think you got to find some music. I think I have to find some music. I don't know. Or Coconut Crunchos. <laughs> yeah, because there are a couple embedded things, you know. No, the, you know what music the is Dodge really, really good? The Dodge Charger. It's all so good. It's, well, it's terrible. Right, it's yeah. spot on, though. It's, so, it's precise. It has incredible verisimilitude. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, for all those reasons and more, I think this is... The high point. Not to say that like this takes a big nosedive, but I don't ever think it hits this height um, in terms of innovation. And and you know, Galen made this point before. The acting is impeccable. Uh, what is his name? The actor that uh, Brian Brian uh, Terry something. Oh oh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry. Henry, he's uh, right. I mean. Did he win Emmys or whatever people win for these guys? Uh-huh. He should have. Yeah, right. He was excellent. It's it's a extraordinary. Yeah, he's really really good. He's so, he's good. so believable and, and natural. Yeah. Mm. Um, In the face of this like facade, which you need, you know what I mean? Like it, 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 without that acting, it wouldn't play. It yeah. just wouldn't. Like, it wouldn't. Uh, this could go wrong so easily. Easily, but he's so good because he's always playing at least two levels. Always. Yeah. Always. I mean, I don't know. You have to know your character inside and out to get that kind of yeah. that kind of truth, man. I don't know. Unbelievable. All right. So, next time is uh, The Club, right? Yeah. Um, the Club's interesting. I made reference to it in one of these episodes before, but it has this iconic moment that freaks people out. <laughs> and it freaked me out. I was like, wow. But uh, I won't say too much more about it. Um it's kind of a return to form a little bit. It's still weird. Like, remember when I said, like, these things kind of go off the rails and, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's still different than the first half. But, um, it, you know, I don't think anything is as weird as BAS. Yeah. You know, I don't think it could be. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, all right, cool. Uh, next time. Next time. Yeah.